Like uh, most Christians, you know, there are certain books of the Bible, certain chapters, certain verses in the Bible that, uh, you know, that we might count as our favorite. There's certain ones that, you know, bless me beyond anything that I'm able to, to explain. One of those happens to be the letter of 1 John. You can be turning there if you'd like. It's not only interesting, it's inspirational. It's important because uh, it has so much information that uh, is greatly needed. The key word in 1 John is the word no. It's used 38 times there. God doesn't want us to live in ignorance. God wants us to know certain things, and, uh, he, and he doesn't leave us in the dark. We, we don't have to wonder about uh, the purpose even of this letter. That's a sermon in itself. He, John tells us that in chapter 1, verse 4, that he wrote to, in order to produce joy. He goes on and tells us in chapter 2 to prevent sin, to prepare the saints, and to provide assurance. Isn't it wonderful that God is looking out for us even whenever we don't seem to be concerned about the most important things in life? And I would absolutely love to God to give me enough time to be able to preach through this entire letter again. And considering several different factors, I don't feel at liberty to do so now. In fact, I just learned, I think it was the day before yesterday, that the theme, the theme of Vacation Bible School has to do with spiritual warfare. And five or six months ago, I, I, I made it known that uh, I was going to be preaching a series on that, which will take place actually next week, sort of an introduction to that. In fact, today will be somewhat of an introduction to that subject and, uh, uh, you know, at different times in our life, different books of the Bible or different verses from the Bible become our favorite. You know, it's all dependent on kind of what's going on. So, you know, at a particular time you say, well, Romans eight twenty eight, man, that's that's got to be my favorite verse at a at another time, you know, it might be uh, Philippians 4.19 about God supplying all of your need, and that's your favorite verse. It depends on what is going on in your life and how you are affected by that. Now, when I speak about the times this morning, I have more than my age in mind. I look back to my... You know, my first favorite Christian song was Victory in Jesus. I'd just been saved. Man, I'd never heard that song before. That was my favorite. Uh, Romans 5, 8, that was my favorite verse until just a little while later. And, and uh, I become familiar with Philippians 4, 13. And uh, so my favorite verses change. And it all depended on what was going on. But I'm talking about... Uh, age in a different sense here this morning. I'm talking about uh, the age in which we're living right now, and it's a time like any other that we've ever seen in life. Um, we look at the Bible and we begin to read these prophecies that are given, and uh, it's strange. I sent out a sent out a news article to several of our men this last week about the fact that CNN and some others are mocking us and our belief about the rapture. And in fact, some of them so stated that they think it is, a, it is a type of insanity on our part. You need to remember that because down the road, you mark it down, that's something that the government will bring up at some time in the future. But even if you're not a Christian, just knowing what the Bible has said by way of prophecy and what has happened and what is happening, that ought to get your attention. And, and, and let me say this, and then I'll read our text this morning, because I want to warn you that there will be some that might misunderstand what I'm saying. 
And at first glance, they're going to think that that's something bad and something sad, uh, when in reality, just the opposite is true. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I think we're using an outline. Yes, we've got the outline up there. It's amazing how God works. Last, the last time I preached, it was the first time that, that I'd put any outline up there, and you wouldn't believe it, but Leanne's mother happened to be here that day, and she's deaf. And she was so excited after the service that she could at least see an outline of what I was talking about. And so God put all of that together because I didn't have any intention of doing so. And someone, they, they thought it would be a good idea. I did that years and years ago, by the way. But uh, as long as they don't get ahead of me, we'll keep doing it. I'll put it that way. So, but a couple of months ago, I, I happened to be reading here in 1 John, and I, I came to this verse, and although I'd taught, taught this many times, it impacted me in a way as never before. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it ever since. That's especially why I hated to miss the last two weeks. And uh, I pray that it'll have the same effect on you before you leave here today and pray for me, because there is so much that could be said about this subject that it's impossible for me to cover it all. But the first thing we need to consider is this, and that is, what in the world is the world? You see, the world passes away. Well, what are we talking about? So let's think about the character of the world. The character, what do we mean? What are we talking about? The meaning of the word world here is a, in the Greek simply means it's cosmos and it means an orderly arrangement. In fact, it's a, it's a word that we get, I think, the word cosmetics from, an orderly arrangement. You know what ladies, you know, think about that, everything just being just right and and the, just the literal stark meaning of that has to do with the arrangement of certain things. And there's three ways in which the word world is, is used. First of all, it has to do with, the, with matter. We're, we're talking about the earth, the literal earth that we live on, the world of matter. And then there's the world of mankind, speaking about humanity. But then there is the world of morals, which has to do with a system. And, and I want you to consider the manner in which it is used here. It, it surely doesn't refer to the, uh, to the matter of matter. That's not what he's talking about. He's not speaking here about nature. The Bible never tells us to hate God's creation. By the way, the Bible never tells us to worship nature either as some people do so he's not referring to the world of matter he's not referring to the world of mankind he's not telling us to hate other people hate them just you know they're not like you hate them they're they're not christians so hate them that's not the point of it at all Amen. so it has to do with with a matter of morals the, the world of morals and he's speaking about a unified system of evil. It's a system that is made up of people, principles, and purposes that are contrary to God. And so looking at the makeup of the world, we find several things. First of all, it's unified, unified in opposition to God, by the way. It's led by Satan. John chapter 12, 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall, now listen carefully, the, the prince of the world be cast out. He's speaking about Satan. He calls him the prince of the world here. In, in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, it calls him there the prince of the power of the air. 
2 Corinthians, it talks about him being the God of this world. Think about that. The Holy Spirit inspiring me, these men to give us that information that Satan is the God of this world. And keep in mind, we're talking about this world, this system that is, that is unified, operated by evil spirits led by Satan, and it includes all of those that are unsaved. Every unsaved people is a part of this kingdom, this world that we're talking about. It seems amazing that as divided as the world is in its opinion about uh, different issues, I don't care what the subject is, you just take take a survey of people out here on the street and ask them about the certain subject and everybody seems to have a different idea. But when it comes down to the people of God and the purposes of God and the word of God, the rest of the world is pretty much unified. It's as though they've taken the vote. We're against it. They want any part of it. Jesus spoke about people like this. He called them the children of this world. Who is he talking about? Well, John 8, verse 44, he says, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the deeds of your father ye will do. And if you look at Matthew chapter 12, you'll find that this word world is synonymous with the kingdom of Satan. So there are two opposing kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan is unified. It's unholy. In other words, it's corrupt. And I could sit here and I could read verse after verse after verse proving that fact and you don't need to read the Bible to know that. Just read the newspaper, watch the news, and you'll see how corrupt this world is. It's unholy, it's unscrupulous, because it makes all kinds of promises that it can't keep. It'll promise you pleasure, but it produces pain. It'll promise you that you'll have happiness, but it always ends in heartache. It promises do this and do that, and you'll find contentment, but... Well, the bottom line is it results in corruption. Promises success ends up with sorrow. So it's unholy, it's unified, it's unscrupulous, it's unrelenting, by the way. He tells us that in 1 John right here, back in chapter 2, look at verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the pride of life, he says, is not of the Father, but that's all of the world. And, and we are under constant pressure because Satan never gives up. He never gives up. To think about him having the audacity, the pride, to rebel against the God who created all of the angelic beings. And you look all down through history, and again and again and again, as good as God is, Satan launches one attack after another attack on people. In fact, I've got to tell you, it almost seems like he must be winning, but, uh, but he's not. Something else about the character of the world, and that's the fact that it's, now listen carefully, it's unchangeable by man. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, evil men and seducers shall what? Wax worse and worse. In other words, everything's going to get worse, not better. So here we are in a world with the character such as I've just described, and it's a world of conflict, and over and over again we read about that Christians are in the world, but they're not of the world. The world is at war against us. Let me tell you, if we're not equipped, we're going to lose that battle. We'll talk about that later on. Now I'm going to rush through these first several points here and camp out 
on the main point that I want to talk to you about this morning. You see what the character of the world is like. <laughs> it's just the opposite of God. It's, it's the kingdom of Satan himself. It's in conflict with God's people. I've always been amazed that the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take you out of the world. I'm going to leave you right here. That's John 17. Remember, that's his, his prayer for his people. He loves. He's sending them on a mission. And I've always said that's a great evidence of God's love for people that he would leave his own children here in this wicked world in order that they might win others to Christ. He knew what was going to happen to Peter and James and John and Paul and all of the rest. He knew what was going to happen. He told them, you're not only going to be hated, you're going to be killed. And he's sending them right out there into the fight. So we are in a conflict. And in this conflict, we are given certain commands. First of all, he tells us here in, in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, he tells us to love not the world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. It is an, remember, don't leave here saying, Brother Stone said we ought to hate people that's not like us. You shouldn't hate anybody. But love not the world, this system that is led by Satan and operated by these demons, these fallen angels. Love not the world. And then he tells us over in Romans chapter 12, we're not to live like the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not to live like the world. We're to be different. And I'm not talking about being different just for the sake of being different, by the way. I've seen that phony, baloney, religious stuff before. People that, you know, that, uh, well, I won't even go there. I might hurt somebody's feelings. Well, I will. I'll just go there. <laughs> you know, some people can get so out of balance on things like, you know, if you're really a spirit-filled woman of God, you'll never cut your hair, never use makeup, and you'll wear a dress that drags the ground. Now, I'm telling you, there are people that have that attitude and that, that believe that. I'm like the fellow said, you know, nothing wrong with makeup. A little paint never hurt an old barn. You know, it doesn't hurt to paint the barn once in a while. But there are people that are fanatical about, about stuff like that. So we're not talking about being different than the world. The only thing you can really do to be different than the world is what? Is to live according to the Word of God. You, you just live like Jesus and you'll be different. I promise you that. Amen. You'll be different. Don't love the world. Don't live like the world. But then thirdly, it can be said that we are to light the world. Now, we are not the ones that produce the light. Jesus is the light of the world, but we reflect that light, and that's why he says that we are the light of the world. In other words, we have a world that is living in darkness, the darkness of sin, and he says, don't love this evil world. Don't live like this evil world, but light it up. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Whenever we teach those little kids what to sing that little chorus, we need to also let them know what that means. That we're to be a light everywhere that we go. Now, I want you to notice we've been talking about the character of the world and the conflict and so forth. But the key words here has to do with the course of this world. Notice the world what? Passeth away. Now, you just ask the average person about the world, and they'll tell you why. We are making great advances. We're making the world a better place. It's a lot better than it used to be. Well, we got rid of that old Atari stuff years ago. Now we've got to look at the games we've got now. It's, oh, yeah, it's a better world. I mean, that, that's their attitude. And they think we're making the world a, a better place because we got more toys to play with, basically. Their attitude is, give us enough time, give us enough money and research, 
and we'll create a utopia right here on earth. And let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. It's not getting better. It's just exactly as the Bible says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, and the world is getting better. It's going downhill and faster and faster and faster, worse and worse. All the politicians will tell you, you know, put me in office. Some of the preachers will tell you, you know, you join our church and you become a part of our following, and man, you can, you can drive a... I used to say a new Cadillac, but man, they've stepped that up now. You can have a, what do you call them, Maserati or whatever those fancier cars are. Oh, yeah, yeah, God wants you to have that. They tell you, Jesus wasn't poor, he was rich. I, they say that. Well, it didn't sound very rich to me when he had not a place to lay his head, had not a place on earth that he could call home during his ministry and and yet they make all of these promises. We've got think tanks all around the world of people working on different so-called problems that we have to deal with. Now they've come up with artificial intelligence. Now considering how stupid some folks are, you might think that might work. But can you imagine solving man's problems with artificial intelligence? intelligence and uh, you know we laugh about that but we've we've got people with a lot of money in high positions and that's the kind of stuff they're they're working on and forgive me if I say this again because I'm going to people my age are living in a state of shock we can't believe when we look around and we see the collapse of the morals of the world that we live in and people's attitude toward God, we see how drastically and how radically the world is changing and we're, it's a state of shock. It's picking up speed, by the way. You know, Daniel said, knowledge shall be increased. And man, it's going at a blazing speed today, and it ought to be obvious that by now that man doesn't have the ability to solve the problems of this world. I don't care what they say. The course is what passeth away. That's a collapse. I could speak for hours about this, the collapse of the world. You know, if you believe the Bible, I think just everybody here would say, if I took a survey, how many of you believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God? I, I, I really doubt if anybody here would, would not raise their hand. I think we would all say, yes, we agree that the Bible is the Word of God. Listen, if you believe that, you have to believe that this wicked system this world that we're talking about, this society that we live in is going to be totally destroyed. You look at the Greek tenses of that word passeth. It means something that is happening and something that will continue and something that ultimately will be totally fulfilled. It passeth away. It's in the process and it's going to come to an end just like the Bible says. And if we study the details of, of this matter, it would bring us all down to, to this. The world is passing away, but there's a contrast. I, I, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit didn't tell John, just tell him that the world is passing away, just put a period there in that. Notice what he says, verse 17, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. That is those desires of the world, but, I underline that, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I mean, this is clear, a clear, compelling contrast that, that we have to consider. It's totally different than what we're reading. We We've seen the, the world is coming to an end 
And now here we come to this extreme, this contrast. And if we're, if we're smart, we'll consider both sides of the coin. Here we look at one side, and here is a world that is corrupt, it's confused, it's collapsing at an ever-increasing rate. I mean, going downhill, that's what you have on one side. It'll keep going that way until God says that's enough and he pulls the plug. But on the other side, he that doeth the will of God, oh, you say, but oh, preacher, that, uh, that, that tells us we got to work for our salvation. Do you know what the will of God is? The Lord told us. It is the will of the Father that we what? That we believe in the Son. Absolutely, there are works involved in the life of a Christian, but we're not saved because of our works. We work because we are saved. And he that doeth the will of God, get this, abideth forever. Every child of God has an eternal inheritance. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Uh, only a fool would choose this, this world rather than the kingdom of God. And you have a choice. You want to choose the kingdom of God where you'll be a joint heir with Christ in heaven with him for all of eternity. Never ending. Are you going to, are you going to choose this world that is perishing? Oh, we get all the... We get all concerned about the things of this world and we want to hang on to them until the very end. And we're all like that, by the way, because even if you're saved, there's enough of the vestiges of your old nature still within you. You still like things. Sure you do. You say, no, no, I'm past that. Well, I... I know of some thieves. I'll send one over and let them steal your stuff tonight and see how you feel about that. You lose all that stuff. Oh, you'd throw a hissy fit. Boy, you know, my, I, I didn't want to lose that. I mean, hey, you're going to leave it all someday anyway. Everything, everything you have. And a church give me this nice Mont Blanc pen. I, I, I think a lot of that. I don't just throw it around. I think a lot of that. Just about everything I got on and in my pockets and everything else is something somebody gave me. Things, things that, you know, I appreciate. But they're just things. And let me tell you, being a joint heir with Christ is far better because we have rewards and crowns that we'll never lose. But this world passeth away and everything that is in it is going to pass with it. Now I want you to put on your thinking cap because some there are some that are thinking, well, preacher, how in the world can you you know, be celebrating a subject like this and you're, you're maybe you're wondering uh, why, would, why would it be a good thing that God would destroy the world? Why, why would that be good? And some, of the, some others are thinking, well, I don't understand why he hasn't already done it. Well, it's because he's God and it's his business to make that choice. Consider a couple of things as to why God hasn't. The first one, you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, and you think about the situation that was existed there, and um, God would have been justified destroying those cities before the incidents happened concerning those that were the homosexuals. 
because that wasn't the only sin. If you read your Bible, you know there were other things going on there that God detested. There were other things that were abominations to God and stuff. God could have destroyed it. And God would have spared it. Had there, now, get this. God said, if, if you can find just ten righteous souls, I'll spare the city. I won't destroy it. Now, God's not saying that what's going on there is right. He's just saying, no, I won't destroy it. If there are ten righteous souls, but if you can't find ten, it's, they're goners. Don't even look back. And Lot's wife paid that price. Lot, just find me ten righteous souls. Now, Lot started thinking, Lord, if I can find, you know, what was a hundred or fifty people? Yeah. He just kept trying to bargain with God. But when it got down to a certain number, God said, enough is enough. Because God knew that it would be in the big picture better to destroy. You know, there was a certain number that if there's that many there, there's hope that those kids being born and hope that others will come to know Lot's God. But it had reached the point, and only God could know this. It had reached the point that God knew no one else there is willing to accept me. It had reached the point that every baby would have been born after that period of time. They would have ended up just like their mother and daddy. God-haters, idolaters. And God knew that, and he said, I'm going to put a stop to that. The second thing you need to consider is whenever God promised the children of Israel the land of Canaan. He said, that land is yours, but uh, you, of course you've got to go over there. You make, you've got to make an effort, but I'm going to give you the land. Now they could have just marched in there at any time, and God could have just wiped out all of the Canaanites. But God did not enable them to possess the land until... As the Bible says, the sins of the Amorites were in full measure. The sinfulness of the people there, as wicked as those Canaanites were, God's letting it go for the time being until it reached that certain point of sinfulness and God said, it won't be of any help. It will not do any good if I let them live any longer. It's just going to make matters worse. My Bible tells me that he hath done all things well. That's the kind of God we serve. Amen. Don't you think for one minute that God was being unfair whenever he destroyed those in Sodom and, and, and when he destroyed the Canaanites, God was not being unfair. And when you look at it from God's standpoint and you consider the passing away of this wicked, evil world that we live in, it is a cause for celebration if we're... Listen, Please don't, I've worried about this all week, that people would misunderstand this. That we ought to look at this truth with rejoicing in our heart that God's going to put an end to all of this. Why? Well, just like I say, because the best is yet to come for the Christian. The best is yet to come. Boy, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Revelation chapter 21 there. Talks about that new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Oh, by the way, we've been talking about the destruction of this system, this kingdom of Satan, that is in opposition to God. 
But there's more to it than that even because the Bible tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. All these tree huggers out here trying to save the environment and what have you, I got news for them. This, this earth, it's a matter of time until God burns it up. He destroyed it the first time with water. The next time it'll be by fire. And it'll be a new earth. God is the master builder. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. That's the kingdom that we're looking forward to. That's why we ought to rejoice that because God is righteous, that just at the right moment in history, God's going to say, enough is enough. Meanwhile, we ought to do everything in our power to do what we can for Christ. You see, we're, with some folks, it's like walking a tightrope because they look at all of the problems of the world and they think, oh my, this world is so wicked, so ungodly. I'm just sick and tired. Of it. I, I'm just depressed. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to quit trying. It, it's no, no, no need in trying. Even Brother Stone said it's unchangeable by man. So what's the use in trying? Let me tell you, it's during the worst of times that you and I have the best opportunities to do what we should be doing for God. Amen. If you ever read the book of Judges and you go through it and it goes through one cycle after another, after another, after another. Here they are down in the depths of their sinfulness and wickedness against God and finally they get so miserable they cry out to God God says, all right, I'm glad you repented, and God gives them prosperity. Prosperity spoils them, and they're right back into the cycle over and over and over again. You see, our problem is that, you know, people say, well, you Christians are so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That, that's their attitude. And the reality of it is, if we're going to be of any earthly good, we've got to be more heavenly minded. We've got to look beyond this world that we live in. And that brings us to the Christian's concern. With all of this in mind, I want, considering the course and the collapse of this wicked world that we live in, we need to learn to look at life from Paul's perspective. You say, well, what was that? Well, over in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and Paul, I tell you, he, he just poured out his heart as he was dealing with people and about his ministry. They had falsely accused him of uh, several different things. Lying was one of them. He said, you know, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to visit with you. He didn't show up. But he had a reason for it. It was because God opened another door of opportunity. How did he do that? By putting him in a place that he was in a world of hurt and suffering. And here in 2 Corinthians 4, he speaks about the suffering and the pain and stuff that he's gone through. And it says in verse number 15, for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace, uh, abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. That is, we don't throw in the towel, we don't give up, we don't quit. But though our outward man perish, how many of you can identify with that? Man, when you was young, there wasn't no arthritis, rheumatism, none of that stuff. Now you're getting older and all of a sudden you feel like you're dying every day. So though the outward man, he says, perish, yet the inward man 
is renewed day by day for our light affliction. Whoa, wait a minute. Our light affliction, what are you talking about? Well, you go back and read the story of the suffering that he went through. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was in prison. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He went through all kinds of torment. And then he says these light afflictions. These are just minor matters. Most of us don't think about our afflictions as being something that's light. These light afflictions, which is but notice for a moment. Hang on to that. It's just for a moment. You say, preacher, you're 81 years old. What do you mean just for a moment? It's you know, been a long time. They worketh for us, not against us. Isn't that good to know? I, know? I know you don't understand it, and sometimes we don't even appreciate it. That it's just not fair, God letting me suffer and go through all of this pain, all this agony. It's just not fair. If you want to talk about being fair, God would be fair if he hung all of us tomorrow. None of us deserve anything. He says, these light afflictions are but for a moment, and they worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, this is where the focus is now, while we look not at the things which are seen, all this stuff around us, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal passing away but the things which are not seen are eternal it's no wonder that Paul said for me to live is Christ this is one this is I, I Philippians 121 I even used it I better not say it, password on certain things Philippians 1, 21. For to me to live is Christ. But it doesn't stop there. And to die is gain. You see, if we're going to deal with the wickedness of this world and deal with the reality that this worldly system, our society, it's all going to cave in all around us, folks. The one world government, the people working feverishly right now trying to bring in a one world government. Do away with all of your cash. We'll just put a, a, a mark in your, in your hand or your forehead and there'll be this mark. And we know, you know, we'll take care of the banking and how much you've got in there and so forth. How you reckon that's going to work out? I'll tell you how it's going to work out. Those who don't have the mark of the beast won't be able to buy or sell. And during that tribulation period, again, there'll be people resorting even to cannibalism just to survive. Our, our mind can't even begin to imagine how bad that time is going to be during the tribulation. We need... We must learn to take the eternal view of everything. Look at everything in light of eternity. Because when you forget about eternity and you make it all about here and now and what you have and so forth, you're, you're going to be miserable and disappointed just like Solomon was. He tried every experiment he could think of. When he said it's all a soap bubble world, it's vanity. Here's a man that had more than all of us put together. He's a king. He can do whatever he wants to do. He has fame, fortune. He's got it all except uh, satisfaction. He didn't have that. And you'll never have it in this world. The only place that we'll ever find satisfaction is as a joint heir with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Amen. And we need to look at it in that light. 
I can't make anyone believe the Bible, but I'm determined I'm going to spend the rest of my life reminding you of what the Bible says. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Again, if I ask how many of you believe that, we'd all say, yep. That's the way we ought to pray. It's what the Lord said. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We all know that up here, right? And I wonder, you know, we sing, we sing that song about heaven. Won't it be wonderful, wonderful there? Then we turn around and we live like it's going to be grief instead of glory. We do. We, we think about, you know, the last thing we want to think about is going to heaven. I'm telling you, the, attitude, the general attitude. You say, well, preacher, it sounds like you're ready to die. Well, I'm ready to die if God's through with me. I mean, it'd be all right with me. Paul said to depart and be with Christ would be far better, but it's more needful, Paul said, for me to say. And I believe God will leave me here as long as God says it's needful for me to be here. And that's the same thing's true of every one of you. A lot of times whenever you I think about Bev and all that she's gone through and what she's going through and what have you. Let me tell you, she's still here because there's a purpose for her being here. A purpose. There's some of those people that uh, down there at dialysis that she's talked to about asking if they're Christians and she's uh, take a light down there in that dark place. If you're living, there's a ministry for you. If you're a child of God and you're still alive, there's something that you ought to be doing, something you could be doing. Do we, do we Baptists, do we really believe that there is a, a burning hell where people will be forever separated from God? Do we really believe that? We should, and if we do, it ought to make a difference in in what we do with our life. What are we doing all that's within our power to reach others? And I know this kind of preaching is not popular. It's a whole lot easier to go to church somewhere, you know, where it's no preaching about sin, no emphasis on morality, no warning about judgment. You know, it's just all fun and games and activities and stuff like that. That's exactly, that's exactly what's going on because there are some preachers, so-called preachers, that will give people what they want instead of what they need. They need the truth, not somebody that turns the church into a, a, a party house. Or... We're at war, people. God really spoke to my heart. I can remember I got home from the hospital. He carted me in. I then Brother Kenneth was there. Bev had the same thing that I did, and she was sick in the other room. I told the girls, I said, put your mom in the wheelchair and bring her back here. And they did, and Bev and I sat there and and just had a, a long talk, just the two of us. Because I knew that God had left us here for a reason. There's a purpose in us being here. And I've always said I'd rather be dead than be a hindrance to this church. And I mean it. 
And the desire of my heart is to do everything in my power to, to prepare the younger folks in this church. To, uh, you younger folks look around, see all, all of the folks with gray hair, no hair, glasses. Boy, I, tell you, I could spend the next hour talking about talking about the faithfulness and the dedication of these people that God has used to give you what you've got here in this church. They, listen, when, when they're gone, when we're gone, hopefully you'll step in and not just fill our shoes, but that you'll do better than what we've been able to do. We owe it to our young people to tell them the truth instead of telling them, oh, look, just be a Christian, attend church on a regular basis and, and, and give your tithe and so forth. And, and you just pray and the world is going to get better. We'll, get, we'll solve all of the problems. No, they need to hear the truth. Amen. The world passeth away. Yeah. And I'm praying that God will give us a revival to where that he'll give us a generation of young people that when the invitation is given, it'll be down here on their face with tears in their eyes, praying for their classmates, praying for their family, praying for their friends. Because none of us know how much time we've got left. And whatever we're going to do, we've got to do quickly. The clock is running. And one of these days, we don't know when, God's going to say, all right, it would be better if I just shut this down now than to let it go on any longer. Our, our best hope, the best hope for this nation is for us Christians to win those that are lost. I started to read four different quotes, one from an atheist, one from a famous journalist, one from, uh, I think, a poet or something, and, and one from Billy Graham, probably the most popular uh, preacher, maybe it's been, I don't know. Billy Graham said years ago, we are on, this world is on a collision course and then he continued by saying that he had his doubts that we would make it. To the year 2000. Wait a minute, we're at 2023 now. Back then, even a man like Billy Graham believed with his heart that this world was not going to I mention that because I guarantee you, you go to school or you go to work or wherever you go, and you, if you repeated everything I said, or maybe there's someone sitting here this morning, you don't know how you ended up at this place, but as far as you're concerned, this is just some old oddball preacher that is kind of out of touch with reality and I'm not going to pay any attention to somebody like that. You can believe it or not, but everything I've spoke this morning is the truth. This world is passing away. And, and it would be foolish for you to invest your life in the things of this world. Don't love this world. Don't follow after this world. Amen. Young people, be a light. Leave here today being a light to those you come in contact with. And if you're here today, it might be that, uh, it, that all of this really seems hopeless to you because while we Christians sing about and talk about, you know, that the best is yet to come, what a day that will be. You've never even thought about getting better and better and better 
and you don't have any, maybe any hope in your life that you'll ever find real peace and real joy. And I can tell you now, you won't until you come to know Christ as your personal Savior. The world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And God is offering you eternal life. Eternal life. Oh, you say, well, I know Christians that have died. Well, yeah, sure, their bodies died, but they didn't die. The real you, your soul, will receive eternal life if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that right here this morning. You can do it right where you are. Maybe you're here and say, well, there's some things I don't understand. Well, you come up here. Brother Kenneth will take the Bible and show you how you can know. John said, I'm through when I say this. In chapter 5, he said, These things have I written, that letter, that ye may know you have eternal life. You can know. You should know. And I hope if you don't, that before you leave, you will. Brother David, would you come? The musicians are going to come. Corey Gerard, lead us in prayer just before we have the invitation. that surround us or, or even get angry with the, the evil that goes on around us, Lord, but help us to bring our, our problems to you and to look to you and as times wax worse and worse. You're our only hope and, and we have a blessed hope that you will return and take your children home. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all that you continually do and the fact that you care for us and, and guide us day by day in our lives and you have a number of our hairs counted on our head dear God we cast all our cares and our burdens upon you as we walk through this world we just thank you for all that you are and who, all that you've done and the love you've shown on the cross and I pray these things in Jesus name Amen Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning if God's speaking to you might be God speaking to you about salvation, baptism, church membership, whatever it is would you come right now read from God's word that the world passeth away. We don't know when. Only God knows that. But we know it's going to happen, right? We've all affirmed the fact that uh, we believe that we ought to pray, Thy kingdom come. That's like saying, like John ended up in Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. How long has it been since you prayed for the Lord to come? 
Oh, you say, well, every time I feel bad, I, wait a minute. That's the problem. The problem is, you know, we, we just want to get out of this bad world. We're not thinking about the fact that uh, what would glorify God the most. We all believe in a burning hell, right? In a wonderful heaven. And I'll bet every person, every Christian here, you can think of somebody, a friend or a family member. I wonder how long it's been since you shed a tear over their lost condition. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking about me and all of us that we can get so cold and so calloused that we say, yeah, my daddy, he's, he's never been saved. You know, he's going to die and go to hell, I guess. And, you know, my classmates, they, they, you ought to hear them. They don't, they don't know anything about the Lord. They, they'd go to hell if they died. We just take it in stride. Jesus saw the multitude and says he had compassion. God give us the kind of compassion that will cause us to open our mouths and, and, and speak to others about Christ and drive us to our knees to pray for them and their needs. We want to sing another stanza of this song. If God's speaking to you, you just do what he wants you to do. That's all I'm asking.